This is episode number 359 with Senior Data Scientist at Warby Parker, Emily Robinson. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. We've got over two and a half thousand video tutorials, over 200 hours of content, and 30 plus courses with new courses being added on average once per month. So all of that and more you get as part of your membership at Super Data Science. So don't hold off, sign up today at www.superdatascience.com. Secure your membership and take your data science skills to the next level. Welcome back to the Super Data Science podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. In today's episode, we had a fantastic chat with a brilliant data scientist. So Emily Robinson has had an outstanding career in data science so far. She moved on from a data science role at Etsy to a data science role at DataCamp. And now, more recently, she's taken up a senior data scientist position at Warby Parker. In addition to being a a data scientist or a senior data scientist, Emily actually also does a lot of appearances at conferences. So check this out. Since July 2017, so that's under three years. In under three years, Emily has spoken at 26, that's right, 26 different conferences or meetups. And on top of all of that, Emily partnered up with another data scientist, Jacqueline Nollis, and together they wrote a book which is titled build a career in data science. How cool is that? So in this podcast, we dissected the different chapters of the book and extracted insights which you can already take away and apply to your career today. So here's what you will hear about in this episode. What areas of data science anybody looking to get into the space should look into to understand how they're going to bring value to data science and how data science is going to bring value to their career, how they're going to be excited about doing data science. We talked about R versus Python, lots of references to Hadley Wickham there. We also talked about the five company archetypes that they identified in the book and how pretty much any company that you're applying for a position in data science for can fall under one of those archetypes and that will help you better assess what is going on in that company or industry. Well, just even knowing about these five company archetypes is already a great step in being aware of them. Negotiation. We talked a lot about negotiation. That was one of my favorite parts of this episode. Uh, We dove into a lot of interesting strategies, how you, and I actually picked up a few things for myself, how you can make sure you're negotiating the right way. You're not being bullied around by a company and that you are getting um, a remuneration that you want or maybe even beyond that. So very cool negotiation tips you will hear. Highly recommend checking them out. They can actually make a big difference in your salary. Maybe you can even get a bump of ten to $20,000. And Emily gives some real examples of how she's helped people and what results they've gotten. Uh, we also talked about finding jobs, where to find them, how to find them in data science. 
those are just some of the things we talked about. Lots of very exciting things. So if, if you're looking to start a career in data science to get into the space or looking to change jobs, or maybe you think you'll change jobs in the space of data science in the coming future, this podcast is for you and you will get a ton of insights from here. And plus, a spoiler alert, uh, Emily shared a special coupon for her book. So if by the end of the podcast you want to get her book, listen to the end because you can get a special discount for Super Data Science Podcast listeners. On that note, let's not put it off any longer and dive into this amazing episode. Without further ado, I bring to you Senior Data Scientist at Warby Parker, Emily Robinson. Welcome everybody back to the Super Data Science Podcast. Super excited to have you back here on the show. Today's guest is calling in from Utah, Emily Robinson. Emily, how are you going today? Hi, thanks, Kirill. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Uh, I think in in Europe, they call this uh, cocooning, cocooning in Spain, cocooning as in uh, while the coronavirus is plaguing the world, people are uh, wrapping up in their cozy homes to uh, spend a few weeks in isolation or in quarantine. Is that what you're doing in Utah? Yeah, exactly. So I actually uh, came out from New York uh, to stay here for a little while. This is where my parents live. And fortunately, they have uh, like a, a guest house where I can just uh, quarantine with my husband. And we have a little drop zone for any uh, things they need to pass on. Um, but it's really beautiful out here. And it's nice because uh, the house is a bit isolated. So we can go for walks and other things and, and not worry about encountering anyone else. Mm. That's that's really good. And um, yeah, it's uh, quite terrible what's going on with the coronavirus. It feels like the whole world has come to a stop, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a little scary in New York now. They've uh, So we're recording this on the 17th uh, and they have shut down the bars, the restaurants, schools are closed. Uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a it's a scary time that we're, we're living in um, and just trying to figure out uh, for me, like how I can do my best to support other people, figuring out uh, I have some remote drinks planned with folks on Thursday. Um, it actually, for me, a lot of my friends, because I uh, went to France for grad school and was in college in Houston, a lot of my friends are kind of scattered around the country and the world. Uh, mm -hmm. So actually, um, it's uh, I'm pretty used to uh, calling people and having to do long distance friendships. Uh, now everyone's schedule is very free, uh, <laughs> so definitely trying to make sure though to to stay uh, to stay connected with people, even if we have to not, even if we can't physically be in person together. Interesting. Uh, what what does uh, social long distance drinks entail? <laughs> I think it will be uh, video calling, uh, video calling in, um, and yeah, just everyone has their own drinks at their place. Uh, my parents, uh, supplied us for our two week quarantine with like seven bottles of liquor. <laughs> so oh, wow. We're, uh, we're, we're well prepared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think it's just trying to find a way to like casually like catch up with some yeah. people and yeah, still see definitely going to be making more use of like video calls instead of just phone calls. Interesting. Um, yeah. Would, would you describe yourself as an expert or an introvert? Definitely very introverted. Uh, so mm. it is kind of funny that it's not its not necessarily, I think, as much of an adjustment um, for me as it is for some other folks who are used to like, you know, going out most days and like seeing people a ton. Uh, we, we usually cook for ourselves. My husband's a great cook. Uh, so yeah, definitely 
definitely very introverted, but still like, uh, you know, especially one-on-one chats or like small groups chats to catch up with people. Uh, so even, you know, it's interesting with introverts, it, it's about where you get your energy, but yep. as an introvert, I can often get energy from like a one-on-one chat with a close friend, uh, oh, that's which good. to me is, is, you know, which is very different to me than if you like drop me at a cocktail party with, <laughs> I don't know and not yeah. sure what I have in common with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm also, I also feel like I'm more introverted, uh, I I really feel for people who are more extroverted because in this time when you can't go out and meet people, that might must be quite difficult for them. But hopefully, hopefully it will pass soon. Hopefully, in a, in a few weeks or a few months, things will come back to normal again. Yeah, yeah. Or people have kids too. I think that's going to be oh yeah very hard if you have like two two working parents um, or you're a single parent and you have your kids home. Um, but I know I've seen people putting together like some, uh, lists of like what you can do inside, especially folks who don't have a backyard, right. Who are living in an apartment, um, how you can keep, uh, keep people active and keep the kids entertained and, uh, not interrupting your conference calls too much. Although I think people are being very, uh, understanding too, Mm -hmm. and like that people are going to have to be flexible about when they work and there might be interruptions in the background. Uh, you know, I've definitely been heartened to see, um, people recognizing that this is a very unusual time and being flexible and, and assuming positive intent. Yeah, and patient as well, patient with yes. each other. Different people have different needs. All right, well, I, on the, speaking of staying at home, people can stay at home and read books, and you <laughs> recently published a book. Good segue. Congratulations. This was your first book? Thank you. Yes, this is uh, my first book. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really excited. I got my print copies about a week ago. Uh, as a little bit in advance of other folks who had pre-ordered. So it was really nice mm-hmm. to see all that work come together into a like, physical object. Nice, very nice. And um, for those who are listening in, the book is called Build a Career in Data Science. And I'm super excited to talk about it here because from like I haven't read the book myself yet. It's uh, something that I'm curious about. And from what I understand, based on the book description page, focuses quite a bit on combining those technical skills with the soft skills in order to really propel your career forward. Is that, is that a good summary or how would you describe your book? Yeah, so I think uh, one way to describe it is having like, uh, there, there's a ton of books out there for building your technical skills, right? Like if you look for, all right, I want to learn to pro, I'm a beginner and I want to learn to program in R or Python, or I'm advanced and I want to learn deep learning. Or, you know, I need to learn all about survival analysis, and you can find a textbook on that. So there's a lot of resources available for that, a lot of tutorials online. But what we found lacking was really like a comprehensive resource for all of the other things that are going to be important in your career. Things like, how do I communicate with stakeholders? Um, How do I write a good resume? Uh, How do I uh, deal with failure if, um, if, if if I'm encountering that? And so uh, my co-author and I, so my co-author is Jacqueline Nolis, we wrote this book to really serve as a comprehensive resource because some of the things we found, like writing a resume, you know, you could find resources online, but they were a bit scattered. Uh, some of them weren't tailored to data science. And then some other things, like our second chapter is on how does data science look at different companies. We just didn't really find that many resources on that. Like you'd maybe find some people posting about what's it been like working at data science at a startup, but not something that looks um, as we do through five different company types and really comparing them with their pros and cons and helping you make a decision about what's best for you. Mm, 
Interesting. And where did you get all this information? Like, is this from your and Jacqueline Knowles' experience? Yeah, so uh, some of it's from our own experience, and I think this is where we complemented each other well. Uh, so Jacqueline has a PhD in industrial engineering. Her bachelor's is in math. Uh, she's been in data science before. It was called that uh, working, <laughs> as a, working as a consultant. Um, so that was a really great way to learn about data science at a lot of different companies. And for mm -hmm. me, I entered data science now about three and a half years ago, uh, first uh, through a boot camp, and then I went to uh, Etsy and then data camp and now at Warby Parker. Um, and so I think we have like very complementary experiences. Jacqueline's been a manager, for example. But on the other hand, like entering data science is different now. So I think it's also good to have someone who's entered a bit more recently. Uh, so yeah. some of it's from our experience. We also, at the end of every chapter, have an interview with a different data scientist. Uh, oh, wow. And that was really important to us to get different perspectives. We also have blurbs throughout the book uh, from folks on things like uh, imposter syndrome or transitioning from academia to industry, because we knew, uh, you know, you know, while we have a, a, a lot of experiences ourselves, uh, data science is a huge field. So we wanted to talk to people who are managers and managers, people at Google, people at startups, uh, you know, people who have uh, transitioned maybe to doing like more product management now, or uh, they're called engineering managers, but they're still uh, doing data science. And that, I think, really helped the book um, address, uh, you know, people from everywhere, from bachelors to, to PhDs, from social sciences to engineering uh, to, you know, humanities backgrounds, uh, how they enter data science and their perspective on uh, the topic of the chapter. Okay, gotcha. And just so, like, a lot of people have been hearing data science, and perhaps maybe even somebody listening to this podcast isn't in the space of data science yet. How can we make it clear who would be interested in the field of data science? Like from, from what you've uh, written in your book, from the research you've done, who would you say are the people best suited to work in the space of data science or who would find this field very interesting? Who would you whom, to whom would you recommend to go into the space of data science? Yeah, I mean, I think the advantage of data science um, is that because it's a newer field and it's pretty broad, there's a lot of different backgrounds. So uh, my background is in the social sciences and I found that a very good fit because uh, I was in the quantitative social sciences doing research and it's a very similar process to data science. But I think, you know, I'm thinking about is data science going to be interested, uh, interesting to me as a career? Uh, something to think about is, okay, do I, in my job right now or in my academic studies, have I been working with data? Do I enjoy like, puzzling through some numbers, uh, making graphs, uh, you know, figuring out how to explain things to people. Uh, in our first chapter, we talk about, uh, we define three different areas of data science, which I think can be helpful for folks to think about. The first is analytics. So this is basically how do we um, gather and clean and display the information we already have? So for example, uh, for a company, it's like, okay, how do I get all the sales orders, how do I graph that? Can I make an interactive dashboard for stakeholders? What kind of cuts should I do? Can I allow people to do it by, you know, different geographic areas and so on? Uh, so really, you know, taking, uh, taking data that exists somewhere or gathering it and then just trying to figure out the best way to share it with people. And the second mm -hmm. is uh, decision science. So this is going beyond the data you have and using uh, statistics and other methods to say, what should we do based on this data? 
And how do we deal with the uncertainty that's inherent in data? So for example, uh, I've done a lot of A-B testing. And one thing there is, you know, you wouldn't say, for example, oh, we have 100 data points for uh, the control and 100 data points for treatment. So the idea in A-B testing is you randomly show half your site visitors uh, one experience and half the other um, and see like which performs better. So maybe which converts more. And you wouldn't say, well, 50 out of 100 converted in A or converted in the control and 51 out of 100 in the treatment. So 51 out of 100, uh, you know, that's that's higher than 50 out of 100. We should launch the treatment, mm-hmm. right? You understand, you're like, okay, but there's uncertainty here. How can we use statistics, for example, to figure out how long we should run a RAB test for um, and how to deal with uh, the data that we get? So decision science is, is really around, let's make some decisions like what, what should we launch? Uh, should we launch this treatment? Where should we put our new store? And so on. And finally, we have machine learning. And I think that's often what people outside of data science think about when they think of data science, uh, because machine learning, for example, is how does Amazon uh, make those recommendations that you see when you visit a product page? Or how does it, when you search for um, you know, Harry Potter on Amazon, how does it know or how does it decide whether to show you the books or the movies or you know, merchandise and so on? Uh, and so that's a that's a third area that we really think about. And so machine learning is all about um, how do we uh, take some data that we have and then use it to uh, predict what is going to happen with new data. So, for example, in the recommendation algorithm, what they're trying to do is predict, OK, if I recommend these things, I want to recommend the things that uh, you're most likely to buy. So I got to be able to predict that. Or we're going to, you know, credit agencies use it to decide whether to grant a loan because they're trying to predict, are you going to default on this loan? uh, And what's the probability of that and how much is their risk tolerance? Uh, So I think it's helpful to think about those three areas and think about, all right, is there any one of those that's really appealing to me or something similar to what I've been doing already? Mm, Okay, okay, very cool. Very, very interesting. And from my, from what I've seen, people from all sorts of backgrounds have been able to successfully start and build a career in data science, from mathematics to social sciences, from physics and engineering to arts and crafts and things like that. Everybody leverages their kind of background. Would you agree with that? Would you say that every type of um, background is conducive to having some sort of different thinking in the space of data science. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, for example, someone with a background in English, and I think communication is a really key skill in data science. And uh, one thing the humanities teaches you is how to communicate well, how to write well. I mean, that being said, certainly, um, you know, if you have a degree, for example, in in English and you haven't studied that much uh, math or statistics or programming, you will need to gain those skills. Um, But I would certainly think uh, that, you know, don't discount all that work you've done. And the other part is if you have been working for a while, um, in a field, maybe you've been working in marketing, that's a huge asset. Um, because a big part of data science is having domain knowledge and gaining that domain knowledge. And if you have that from a previous career, uh, like maybe you worked in, in retail and you can go and do data science for a retail company and you'll be so advantaged to have, that domain knowledge already from your previous experience in the field, even if it wasn't as a data scientist in that domain. Mm, totally agree. Uh, and let's say I, um, I've i decided to become a data scientist. I have some experience, as you said, in marketing or some other field. 
what are my first steps? What What is your recommended approach for somebody to tackle this? Do I quit my job and start <laughs> applying for data science positions right away? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it does depend on like how close your background is. So for example, if you've been working as a you know marketing analyst and so you've been using Excel spreadsheets, you're very comfortable with numbers, um, you've been looking at using Google Analytics, stuff like that. Um, I think the best thing to do there uh, is to try to figure out, okay, how can I... Uh, do what I'm currently doing, but maybe start to incorporate programming, for example. So almost every data science job, you'll need to program, and the two most common languages are R and Python. So maybe you try, uh, instead of doing making a graph in Excel, see if you can try making it in R or Python. And there's a ton of uh, online courses and textbooks and other ways you can use to, to get up to speed on that. So I think if you can and you're in an adjacent job, I really do think the best way is to start doing it in your current work, because that way you can continue to get paid for it. Um, hopefully it makes your work more efficient. Uh, you know, maybe you can produce things you couldn't produce before that makes your boss happy. Uh, so that's a really great way, but say you're in uh, you, you can't really incorporate in your current job. So our third chapter is all about how do I get the skills? And, and really the two other big options are doing a master's degree and doing a boot camp. Um, both of those options, you do have to have, uh, some background already. Um, so for example, uh, the bootcamp I did Metis, you had to do a take home programming assignment, um, answer some stats questions because they're not designed to take you from, uh, zero to 60 from nothing to like a, a, you know, fully fledged data scientist in three months. They're designed, okay, you have some of these skills already, but you need some dedicated time to improve it. So for example, for me, I had a, a good background in statistics uh, and in R, but I hadn't done Python and I hadn't done uh, machine learning. So that was really helpful for me to get done. So I think, you know, but with all of that, you have to weigh the cost, obviously, you have to weigh the time you have. Um, but I think, you know, if you, it, it can be helpful, um, to start, I would say, with some low-cost options, to start with things like trying it in your work or taking a free online course uh, before saying, okay, I'm going to commit you know, $30,000 to a master's degree and then find out you don't actually really enjoy data science um, because there is certainly a big hype around it and it is a great field, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that everyone's going to take to it and to really try to find out uh, in, the, in the lowest cost investment and time investment first if this is something that's appealing for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of education, I uh, heard uh, on one of your talks that your one of your lecturers, or professors at Rice University was Hadley Wickham. How cool is that? Yeah, that was really great. Uh, so, if any of your listeners are more Python, Hadley's a you know probably the one of the most um, prolific R programmers. He's made. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. we had him on the podcast like a few yeah, episodes ago. Yeah, I heard actually. it. It was it was a great episode. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and yeah, so I got really lucky uh, to have him as a professor. Uh, so he had uh, redesigned some of the courses to use R. I mean, this was back in like uh, 2011, 2012. So this was a ggplot was around. I think we were using Plier. There wasn't dplyr yet. Um, mm. So it was funny to see. I think reshape two. Uh, how it's all evolved since then, but that really got me started on the on the right foot, and I was I'm very grateful for that. Nice. And now, now that you know both R and Python, for I think this would be useful advice for somebody starting out from scratch, not knowing either of the languages. Which one would you recommend for a person like that to begin their journey into data science? 
Yeah. So there's definitely pros and cons to each. I would say from a purely like, okay, uh, looking at jobs, what do, uh, what's more common? And I would say Python is more common. And certainly if you're doing, uh, if you want to do machine learning, um, Python is more common in, uh, especially in production machine learning environments. It's not to say R can't do it. So my co-author Jacqueline Nolas actually has put R in production, uh, given talks about that with her wife, Heather, um, on how they're using, uh, R in production and it's getting hit, you know, 5 million times a week or more. Uh, but that being said, you're often working with engineers on that and engineers are, you know, might already know Python or are more comfortable learning Python than R because it's more similar to other languages. Uh, so just from a purely like numbers perspective, you know, Python is a bit more popular. That being said, I actually still, uh, use R and all the teams I've worked on have used it. And one of the things I really enjoy about R is I do think it can be more friendlier for people who are coming, uh, not from a, uh, programming background, um, who this would be their first language because a lot of it's, uh, human readable. So dplyr, for example, you know, uh, you could show that to someone who's never looked at code before and they might be, they, they're probably able to get it because it's things like, Oh, filter group by summarize, uh, you know, things like, okay, I think I can guess what this code is doing. And it's, there's a really, really great community in R as well. Uh, that's very friendly, very welcoming to to new people. Great at answering questions. Uh, I really love um, R on uh, the R community on Twitter. Um, and there's, uh, I think, did you you you've had Gabriella now twice on your podcast, right? Yeah, Gabriella De Caros, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she, you know, as, as your uh, dedicated listeners, know. you know the podcast very well. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm yeah, I actually spoke to Gabriella two days ago. We were talking about um, the, our upcoming conference and now how she's she's got this new project. She started ourladies.org and now she's got... Um, inclusive AI. Uh, AI inclusive, yeah. yeah. AI inclusive.org. Very cool project as well. Very excited about that. They just launched their second chapter, I think, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I really found... And like Python has Pi Ladies, um, but I've really found like the R Ladies uh, community to be great. So yeah, I mean, I think... To sum it up, like any of your listeners trying to think, um, what I would say is maybe try both. Um, you know, if, if you really like, and then you try both and you're like, I still have no preference, um, you know, and, and you think, all right, like community is not as important to me. Like, I just want like as many jobs open as possible, maybe go with Python, but definitely pick one and stick with it for a while. I would not recommend trying to get to an intermediate level in both. Uh, I think you're much mm -hmm. better served. And I think Hadley mentioned this uh, maybe on your episode as well, much better served to just like start with one, um, after experimenting with both, perhaps then like stick with one, really learn that well. And then if you need it later, you can pick the other, other up. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It was so interesting talking to Hadley about him learning Python. He did, just did it for fun, but he still doesn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> he still uses R. Yeah, I do think, oh, also if you, if you're going to do visualizations, it's funny. Um, you know, I think there's like, there's like 3 million different ways in Python, like packages that are trying to emulate ggplot2. So I think, yeah. uh, even diehard Python people will recognize that like ggplot2 is a great graphing, uh, uh, library. And, uh, I think most folks, the tidyverse is really nice way to, uh, draw together all the data analysis process. So, um, yeah. and yeah, and the last thing maybe is take a look at the type of jobs you want. Um, because for example, if you're more like researcher type, often people from academia are, might be more common there. Um, so you could try if, if you have an idea of like, oh, these are the type of companies I'd like to work for. 
you know, are these the type of positions? Maybe just take a look and see what they ask for. Do they ask for R or Python? And that could also be a deciding factor. Absolutely. Yeah, that, was, that was exactly what I was going to say next. That, and not just companies, also industries, mm -hmm. like you said, um, research or maybe pharmaceuticals, medical, uh, they, they are more on the R side of things. That's, like, that's where R got a lot of its development, as I understand. Uh, whereas you're, if you're going more into, um, I don't know, industry and things like that, like uh, specifically, I don't know, um, mining or banking or other things, they might have specific preferences. It might be like a more of an industry standard to use one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, we've covered off that that important question: R versus Python. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, we know like what areas of data science. What I'm really curious is, you said in your book you described five different companies. Why five? How did you pick these companies? How do they differ? I'm, I'm just curious. Like, uh, is, is does that encompass all of data science, or like most of data science roles that you can begin with would? Uh, fall into one of these five groups, uh, five types? Yeah, so certainly it's not all. I mean, of course, there's always be exceptions. And we chose like, we didn't, uh, we chose like archetypes of companies. And so the mm -hmm. five ones we chose, uh, one, it was massive tech companies. So if you're thinking of like, you know, Google or Microsoft, uh, those types of companies or Facebook. And then we have uh, a company that's like an established retail. So for example, like Bed Bath & Beyond or Best Buy, we have, um, you know, a government contractor type, uh, so like maybe Boeing, um, a late stage uh, tech startup like Lyft or Twitter, and then a small new startup. Uh, so like, as we say, like hundreds of startups you've never heard of that have died out since then. Uh, and, the, <laughs> and the reason we chose them is at the end of that chapter, we give, you know, we'll say like one, you know, it's it's very possible the company you're looking at, it's it's clear which one it maps to, right? It's like, you're looking at a small startup, you're looking at Google. Uh, but even if not, like what we talk about is, okay, what are different criteria that companies vary on? So we say, okay, well, you know, think about like how much bureaucracy is there going to be? So for example, a massive tech company or a government contractor is going to have a lot more bureaucracy than a small startup. Uh, what is the, um, you know, job security? So a small startup is going to be a little bit riskier, for example, than like a defense contractor or a massive tech company. Uh, how much mentorship are you going to get? Uh, do you want to work with a pretty established team where it'll be among a lot of other data scientists, or are you going to be the first data scientist they have? And so that's uh, rather than being like, oh, definitely, you know, every company you look at, you can you can automatically put it in there. Um, it's it's trying to help you think about what should you be looking for in a company, and there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer, right? For people have different preferences. For some folks, uh, it would be very important to have. Uh, job security, maybe if they if they have a family or, you know, the, uh, it's just they, they'd rather have that than necessarily working at like the hottest startup. But for other people, they want to have a high growth opportunity and they want to wear a lot of different hats and, you know, have a lot of control, for example, and not deal with bureaucracy and they'll be attracted to a small startup. Uh, so that's how we thought about, you know, picking those archetypes as some of the most common ones where data scientists work, um, but also showing the spectrum across these different things you might be thinking about uh, when deciding on what type of company you're interested in. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, on that note, let's talk interviews. Do you have any advice in your book on how to approach data science interviews? Yes, uh, so we have a whole chapter on that. 
Um, chapter seven, and we also have uh, an interview appendix at the end of the book where we gave uh, 30 example interview questions and wow. uh, the answers that we would give and the notes on like why we would give, you know, why we give we gave that answer. Because some of them are, you know, our technical questions where it's like, okay, we gave this answer because, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's the right answer. Um, some, <laughs> some of them are behavioral questions, right? Where there's not necessarily a right answer, but we talk about things like, okay, with a behavioral question, like, tell me about a time when, you know, you had a disagreement with a teammate and we talk about, all right, um, in general, you want to approach behavioral questions this way. Like, what was the situation? Um, what, what did you do in response? What was the outcome? Um, but also like for that question, we say, for example, all right, what you don't want to come across is like, oh yeah, I resolved it by getting them fired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now we never talk again. Right. It's like, they're, they're asking that they want to see we, we talk about, like, what are people looking for when they ask these types of questions? Um, gotcha. but yeah, in our, in our interview chapter, I mean, the first part of what we do, we also just describe what it's like, because I think there is, uh, some mystery around data science interview processes. Um, it certainly is not as standard as for example, engineering interviews have become. Uh, software engineering because it's newer. So one thing we do warn you is you may, you know, one company may, um, you know, have you program only in SQL. Another company may ask you to like invert a binary tree on the whiteboard. Uh, another company may ask you like in-depth statistics questions. Uh, so just, you know, mentally preparing for that a bit, um, but also giving some advice, for example, on case studies. So uh, a lot of companies do take home case studies and we talk about, okay, what type of things should you be thinking about uh, when you're, uh, what are they looking for? Uh, you know, so we say things like they're looking like for, can you work with messy real world data? Can you structure an analysis? Can you produce something useful? And then we give some advice on like how to uh, accomplish those goals and show them that you can do that. Uh, yeah. So those, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot that goes on into interviews, but we try to demystify the process a bit give our advice. And then we also have a chapter on negotiating an offer and how to handle offers, because I think that's something, Ooh. uh, yeah, that that's really important, uh, for folks to think about. Interesting. Tell us, so to, could, could you please elaborate? So if let's say a job says, um, you will be paid $500,000, <laughs> let's say, uh, $80,000, how will you negotiate that? Uh, what, what do you do? At which point do you negotiate? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this actually was, uh, so we talked earlier, like, how did we uh, come up with the stuff for the book? So actually, this was where my academic background helped. So I have a master's in management specializing in organizational behavior. Uh, and so one of the things um, I studied was like a lot of research papers on negotiations, uh, job mm -hmm. offer negotiations. What a useful thing to study. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody should study that. <laughs> yeah, I do think uh, it was, it was a very, I'm like, there, yeah, there's a lot of, it, it was a great things to study. I studied like teamwork. Uh, there's a lot of interesting, useful research out there. Um, if anyone wants to like get up to speed quickly, um, HBR often has, uh, it's like for a more general purpose audience, but it's by the academics who are doing this research. Uh, so that's a good source for finding rather than necessarily going to the research papers themselves, which may be kind of long and, uh, you know, specific to, to one small topic. Uh, but Harvard business review, right? yeah, Harvard business review, um, is a good yeah. source. They also have these these little books that you can get, like booklets, even uh, with um, like top ten articles or papers on uh, you know, team management or leadership or like you say negotiation. Uh, they have them at airports. Um, I, I think at the Dubai airport they have them. 
in one of the shops. They're just like every time I stop by, I pick up, pick one up of them, pick up one of them, and it's really useful to read them. Yeah, yeah, I haven't picked them up before, but I, I definitely believe that. Um, but yeah, so a quick primer on negotiations. So one thing we really recommend is don't try to avoid, if at all possible, giving them a salary number because some companies will ask you, uh, like, what are you looking for in terms of salary? Um, or this is now illegal in certain places like New York city, but they, but in places it's not illegal, they may ask like, what's your salary now? Uh, what's the previous so salary? Try you, you're saying try to avoid. Exactly. Because you're giving away the problem is when you, you, you give away a lot of your power. So for example, if you give them a number, uh, let's say they were thinking like they're so to back up, most companies will have a range, like pretty much all companies have a range for a position. Right. And like that's yeah. certainly um, bigger companies, startups, you know, maybe flying a little bit more by the seat of their pants. Uh, but bigger companies will be like this position is going to have like to get the the headcount approved. It's like, all right, the salary is going to be between like 120 and 160,000, uh, you know, and it's usually a pretty wide range because that gives, you know, people may have different experiences or education and so on. Um, but they have that number. And if you're like, oh, I'm expecting, you know, uh, I'm looking for a salary of one hundred thousand dollars. They, they may not like go all the way down uh, and like uh, to that, but they may be like, oh, we would have thought that we could have, you know, uh, we would have put them at 130, but now we can give them 120 and we know they'll be thrilled with that. Uh, yeah. So one way you can um, uh, push off that question is you could say, if it's early in the process, you can say, for example, uh, you know, well, I really want to learn more about the the position and how I'm a, I'm a fit for it um, before discussing those numbers or you can say, uh, you know, I'm really going to look at the whole package uh, because this is a very important point. Remember, salary is just one part of a, a job offer. So, for example, is there a 401k matching uh, if you're in the U.S., right? Retirement savings matching. Uh, is healthcare covered? Uh, do I have remote work options if that's something that's important to me or a flexible schedule? Um, and uh, do are there other perks, for example, like do they offer gym reimbursement or uh, catered lunches? And so to really try to think about um, all of those parts and not just get focused on the salary number. So mm -hmm. first, try to push off answering that. Second, let's say you get to the offer stage and, you know, they, they call you and they say, oh, we'd like to offer you, you know, uh, $80,000. What do you do? Uh, so the first is definitely um, remain enthusiastic throughout this process and, you know, thank them and really emphasize that you're excited to work there because, you know, that, that gives them a good feeling. And you want them to believe, for example, if you negotiate for some things and they give it to you, that you will take the offer. And we definitely do recommend if you ask for something like and they give you all of it, you should be planning to take that offer. Uh, right. Uh, so that's that's something that's important uh, is to you know, remain enthusiastic, thank them and then uh, ask. Otherwise, if you don't take that offer, you will leave that uh, hiring manager heartbroken and yeah. he'll take it out on the next exactly. person. Exactly. And you might also like burn some bridges, right? The data science world yeah. is, you know, fairly small. Uh, you, you know, maybe that person will be working at, at the, your dream company in a couple of years and they'll remember, like, it seemed like you were stringing them along, maybe for example, to uh, try to get, uh, you know, when you were negotiating with another company, right? Yeah, yeah. Because that's a big component. Your biggest piece of leverage is a competing offer. So if you have an offer for another company, that's higher. Uh, so for example, actually, uh, I know someone who had a, um, 
five offers from a company and one of them offered Whoa. yeah so he was in a great position from one company no, or from sorry from companies? five different companies five different job offers uh -huh. but at, around at the same time uh that they were all open and his favorite company you know they offered him um you know 200 so he's pretty senior they offered him two hundred thousand dollars a year uh -huh. um and he was saying you know, and they said like, this is like what the market research, so on and so forth. And he's like, well, like those are good data points, but I have four other competing data points and two of those are at $250,000 a year. Right. So those were the mm. other offers. And so actually, and this is, it's rare to be able to negotiate that much. Um, and it's partly, I think, because this company was a smaller company, this was the first time they're hiring, um, a principal data scientist. So it was, you know, they, it wasn't like there's all these other people that, you know, have had a pay band established. Um, but he was able to get a huge raise because of that, because he could very much say, look, I, my my um, best alternative, if I don't take this offer, is I get paid $250,000. So I get paid $50,000 more than you're offering. Um, so that's mm -hmm. a huge piece of leverage if you have it. Or, for example, a current job. Um, so I talked to someone else who was offered um, $5,000 less than their current job, which is not a lot, but they also got good benefits at their current job. and and they And normally... You know, I say early in the process, don't disclose like your salary, salary expectations. But at that point, um, I told them to definitely disclose it because they could say like, look, I, it's I'll, I'd have to take a pay cut to come to this job. And most companies will understand that you don't want to do that. And so they were able to get uh, a $10,000 increase in their offer. Uh huh. Wow. Wow. Very yeah. cool. And so there's, awesome. yeah, definitely keep in mind, um, you know, again, we go obviously much more in depth in the book. But it's very normal to negotiate. No company should pull as long as you're, you know, you're you're polite. Um, you know, you're not like, how dare you give me such a horrible offer? Like, I will never speak to you again unless you give me twenty thousand more, right? Unless you're <laughs> you're very unreasonable. Uh, companies expect you to negotiate. Often, you can get at least a five percent increase in salary. Um, remember to think about what are the other benefits. Uh, some of them are easier than others. Like, for example, it's hard often to get a four hundred one k. Uh, match difference because that's just set at a company level. Um, but you could use that as leverage. You can say, for example, well, my current company has a 5% match and you don't offer a match. And that means effectively right now, my salary is 5% higher than my base salary looks. And so you could use that as a leverage point to maybe get a higher salary or a signing bonus or uh, ask for a performance review in six months instead of a year where you'll be able, you know, if you're performing well, uh, we'll revisit your salary. So there's lots of different ways um, that you can negotiate. And, uh, again, we do talk about like some specific tactics as well. Um, like, uh, you know, for example, like remaining enthusiastic and, uh, packaging things up. So it doesn't feel, for example, as in they answer one thing and you're like, Oh, actually I have this other thing I want to talk to you about. And actually I have this other thing, uh, mm. you know, and, and, uh, just to, to really try to, you know, stay polite, um, stay enthusiastic, remember that it's normal to negotiate and, you know, it's certainly uncomfortable for people, but as my brother once told me, like if someone said, uh, if you, you know, stand on one foot for a minute, we'll give you 5,000 more dollars, right? You'd be like, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable. So like it can be a huge payoff and it can really compound over the course of, uh, your career, even just a couple more thousand dollars in salary. Yeah, absolutely. You, those couple of minutes or hours that you're in those interviews and they're, they're deciding the your future for the next year or two or five might as well approach it very um, carefully and th thoughtfully and strategically and i love that you have this chapter in your book 
I can totally get behind the advice, don't ever go first. Like in any sort of negotiation, there are very rare circumstances where you should disclose your position first. You should always listen to the other person and or company, whatever it is, and you should get them to say what they're offering. And this is for any position which, basically, if there a market already exists for a position or a service or a product, and there are kind of like ranges in the world, everybody yeah. knows that this position for this specific role would probably get paid between, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of like eighty to $140,000. Well, let them go first. Let them tell you their range, which might be, you know, 120 to 160 or might be less or more, whatever. Because then you can, you, you might have had something like in your example, something much lower in mind and you save yourself like that whole situation where you're, you know, you're missing out because you just didn't know their range from the start. So definitely don't go first. And the other advice you gave is fantastic as well. I'm sure you have plenty more in your book. So it was really, really cool idea to include that. Yeah. Thanks. And actually, and one last thing I want to add, uh, definitely prepare and don't, and unless it's like, except for very rare circumstances, like for example, maybe if it's like 25% lower salary than you thought, um, in that initial call where they give you an offer, like thank them and say, you know, I need a few days to consider this and really take that time to like, think about it, to prepare what you're going to say, like maybe even write a little bit of script, um, because you, you want to lay down, um, you know, what's important to you, you know, for example, oh, if they can't move on salary, I'm going to ask about a signing bonus, or I'm going to ask about stock options, rather than trying to do that in the moment to take a little bit of time to think about it and to prepare yourself for the negotiation. And and then how do you what's your template response if you, if they did say something that, you know, they said like 80,000 or or in any case, like, even if it's if you're aiming for 100, they, they say 120, is it worth trying to push it even further and asking for 130 just to check it out. Maybe maybe the range was higher. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do not base it on like what you've been paid previously or what you thought. Like once they give you their first offer, like if, if it's higher than you were expecting, once they give you their first offer, still negotiate. There's almost always room to negotiate on something. Um, so definitely, uh, I had another friend who got a, what was it, like a 40% raise and they actually still negotiated for another $5,000. Uh, and some more stock <laughs> options because you know what, like why, you know, why not? Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, uh, keep going. But if you do get one, that's very disappointing. Like I said, with like some rare circumstance, it'll be hard for them to, for example, give you like a 30% salary bump. Yeah. So if you're really disappointed and you're like, I don't know if like, it just might be out of their pay range. I would maybe say something like we were in our, in our book, um, like, thank you so much. I'm really excited about this opportunity and the work I'd be doing you know, at company Z, your company. But I want to be honest that the salaries is a fair amount lower than I was expected. I know that in New York City, the market rate for someone such as myself with a master's degree and five years of experience is in the range of X to Y. What can we do to get the offer more aligned with that range? And, yeah. you know, because it's if it's so off, that's why I say maybe doing it in the initial call rather than waiting a week, because honestly, it might just be possible, even if you're an excellent negotiator, like they're just like, you know, we're start, like our band is just this, like we can't like HR, like we, we can't move that number. Um, and, it, you know, your only hope maybe that they can classify you as a more senior employee. So you're in a different band. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And uh, to the to your point that negotiate, even if it's higher than, than what you expected, still negotiate. Why? Because if you haven't yet disclosed to them what you're currently earning, and if you're not planning on disclosing, that's that's 
bonus to you. But basically, they for for a company, if somebody negotiates, and you don't do it arrogantly, but you do it in a nice way, you do it, you know, like you say that you're excited to for this opportunity. For them, you're not lowering your value by negotiating. You're actually increasing your value. They're like, oh, that's right. Like if if we're gonna have to pay that person more, then that means they are worth more. They value themselves more. Maybe we should value mm-hmm. them more as well. You already have the offer for whatever, 120 or whatever. Like, just try to be very polite and consider it, but uh, see if you can bump it up a bit more. Always, always a good practice. Fantastic. Okay, so um, some people might be thinking we skip, like jump the gun a little <laughs> bit. We went straight to the interviews. Uh, do you have any advice on actually getting the interview? Like, what what is a data scientist or data scientist to be uh, professional? What do they need to do? What, what's your best advice for getting those interviews? Like, uh, print out a hundred copies of your resume <laughs> and send it to a hundred companies. Oh my gosh! Yes, we have a lot of advice, of course. Uh, so I'll just briefly talk about like um, like a pre step even before applying. Uh, one thing we have another chapter on chapter four is building a portfolio. Um, so I think this is a big benefit if you don't have previous job experience in like data science or related like analytics field is how do you show you can do the job? And a really great way is having um, a GitHub with personal projects. Uh, so showing that you can code, um, I think it's we recommend it's it's even better if you can blog about one of them because that shows you can communicate and also they're more likely to like skim through a blog post than try to read your you know thousand lines of code. Um, and so that can be a really nice way to be like, okay, even though I haven't done it for a company before, um, I've, you know, gathered data, I've worked with messy data, I've cleaned it, I've analyzed it and I've put it through to a final product. So maybe that's a, you know, machine learning algorithm. Maybe that's some visualizations, maybe that's a interactive web application. Uh, so that's a really nice way that can help you stand out, but you know, okay, you have that, uh, and I think this has definitely been talked about your podcast before, but a network is huge. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of job opportunities come from uh, either people you know or meeting people at meetups or conferences who have a position at their company available or, you know, reaching out on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, it's, your network is easier to develop, honestly, if you're already in data science. Um, so how do you develop it before you're in the field? Well, one thing anyone can do is go to meetups. Uh, so uh, I really love the, in New York, we have the New York Open Statistical Program meetup and we have the Our Ladies meetup. And I go almost every month to that. And I've met a lot of people through that. Um, and it's a really nice way to meet folks at a, at a bunch of different companies. Um, but let's say you maybe, you don't have local stuff. Uh, so we include in our, our book, uh, so Mark Mellon, who I'm a big fan of, uh, he wrote a blog post uh, about, um, how the most effective messages that reach like cold reach out, like people he doesn't know are ones that combine a thank you with an ask. So thanking him for his, you know, blog post, maybe on something or a podcast recording he did, and then following up with, uh, you know, Hey, can I, you know, maybe, um, talk with you for like 20 minutes on this topic. Uh, and so you're showing that you've done your research on them. Uh, you're not just like spamming everyone on LinkedIn, uh, you have already looked at any public work they've written about this topic, and then you're asking them something that they haven't answered already. Uh, so that's a nice way to kind of like start building your network there. Um, but in terms of 
resumes and cover letters. Like we have a chapter on that. There's a lot of advice that that's something that's easier to find online. For example, I re- we really advise like keep your resume to one page. You want someone who only has 10 seconds to skim it to find the key facts right away. So that might be uh, where you've worked before, your education, uh, link to a portfolio, the skills you have, uh, and so on. You want them not to have to like parse through three pages of a resume with like tiny font that, uh, you know, just like all these small bullets and trying to figure out what are the key points. Um, write a cover letter if they ask for one. That can be a way that not just to, you don't want to just be reiterating your resume, but telling a story, saying, why am I interested in this company? Showing that you've researched them because that can make you really stand out. Um, so there's a lot of like different advice here. Um, and our, our final thing I will say, and this was like said by our chapter uh, five interviewee, is especially for your first job, don't get caught up in the data scientist title um, because there are so many other positions with different titles like data analyst, quantitative analyst, um, you know, researcher, insight specialist. specialist where you could use data science and it might be easier to transition into those jobs um, than, for example, a data, a data scientist job. And especially also don't get caught up in like, I have to go work at like Facebook or Google or Airbnb at a data scientist because, you know, (laughs) those companies do have the luxury of being more picky um, because they get tons of applications and, you know, they can be great places to work, but so are a lot of other places. And, you know, think about uh, what you want to do. So um, Jessie Mosspack, who we interviewed in chapter five, uh, she said, for example, like for her, she's always, she's done a lot of nonprofit data science. And, you know, she's like, I'm fine doing like, you know, working with messy Excel spreadsheets. I don't, you know, need to be doing cutting edge deep learning because to me it's, it's much more important. Like I want to see the, the impact of the work that I'm doing and I want to like help causes that I care about. So think about that for yourself too, is like, what kind of, uh, you know, how, how do you want to make a, a difference? Um, what's important to you in data science jobs and not just applying bi- blindly online through like a hundred, uh, resume portals where to be honest, it's probably going to go into a huge pile and maybe not be seen. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, uh, I completely agree with your point about going to meet people. I've heard the statistic that 70% of hires worldwide happen behind the scenes through connections and through networking and go to a meetup, go somewhere where you can catch up with people. I think you lead by example, Emily, like I was looking at your LinkedIn and it says um, all the conferences where you (laughs) gave a talk recently or in the past couple of years, it's a huge number of events that you've been to. It's like probably in the several dozen, right? Is that is that about right? Yeah, I think it's uh, maybe up to like 20 now or something. And I started, uh, let's see, now like two and a half years ago. Uh, my first meetup talk was uh, either July or August 2017. And then my mm-hmm. first conference one was uh, January 2018. Mm-hmm. And like just uh, listeners <laughs> of the podcast, uh, I really recommend going on Emily's a LinkedIn and go where it says public speaker and experience, you'll see that, you know, the 20 places she's been to, it's it's crazy how many conferences from the R conference uh, in New York to uh, a data professionals conference in Taiwan, women in analytics conference at Facebook, uh, booking.com headquarters speech. That is really cool. And I'm sure you meet a lot of people along the way. Is that like, uh, you You probably have met hundreds of data scientists. Yeah. And there's also great, there's like a snowballing effect. Uh, so for some of those conferences, all right. So I know um, 
and this is actually a, a benefit that uh, most people won't have. My brother, Dave Robinson, is also a data scientist. Uh, mm. And through him, I met his co-author, Julia Silke, uh, who's mm. now a uh, engineer at our studio. And this was maybe like two years ago. Um, but she, when I was working at Etsy, uh, Lucas Vermeer, who heads up experimentation at Booking, had reached out to her to talk about how Stack Overflow, where she was working at the time, does A-B testing. And after they finished talking, he said, you know, do you know anyone else who's doing A-B testing um, at other companies that I could talk to? And so she introduced him to me. Uh, we chatted about um, how Etsy does it and Booking does it. And then actually through him, uh, he uh, recommended me to speak at CXL Live, uh, which is like a sort of experimentation like uh, conversion uh, conference. Uh, when I spoke there, um, Ronnie Kohavi, who's over at Microsoft, uh, saw a video of my speech and um, my talk and invited me to speak at an internal Microsoft conference in June. <laughs> uh, and uh, someone else named uh, Tan saw, saw my talk at CXL and invited me to speak at their conversion conference in the Netherlands. Uh, right. Wow. So just from this one connection through through Lucas, who has been like a um, you know a great uh, sponsor for me, I was able to speak at all these different conferences, and uh, it's been really cool and get a travel to, so now I've traveled to the Netherlands, uh, London, and then hopefully in Spain in, uh, November, uh, mm -hmm. to speak. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've met a lot of different people. Um, and it's been a really cool experience. Uh, I really enjoy going to conferences. Uh, like our studio is one of my favorites. I went for the fourth time again this year. Uh, and it's a great way to catch up with people, uh, from all across the country and the world who I've gotten to know, through conferences and then kept up with through uh, Twitter or Slack channels. Very, very true. And uh, very excited also to announce to everybody that we spoke with Emily before the podcast and uh, she's most likely happy, most likely going to come to our Data Science Go event in October. And I mean, most likely if this uh, coronavirus situation resolves and everything is good, hopefully it will in the next few months, then we'd be super thrilled to host you as a speaker at Data Science Go. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited. Uh, you know, it's interesting, these different conferences, uh, you know, their focuses, for example, and often, uh, you know, there, for example, at our studio, there might be some more career focused uh, talks. Um, but of course, there's also a lot of technical talks and different things. Uh, and I was really excited with Data Science Go that, you know, you have whole tracks developed to, uh, you know, kind of some of that, that non-technical stuff, but that's really important for people to know and often can make a huge difference in their career is understanding things like communications, uh, applications um, to companies. Uh, you know, one thing, uh, you know, I might, I might talk about, I've given previous talk about, is like this building a portfolio, how do you do that? Mm. Or how do you expand your network? I gave a talk about that to uh, my data science bootcamp. Um, but yeah, I'd be really excited. I've heard great reviews um, of the conference. Uh, seems like a super uh, friendly uh, conference and with a, with a lot of knowledge being shared. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. And yeah, we'd love to have you there. It, uh, I think it aligns very well with, with the, um, uh, like what a lot of people want to get out of the event, like the networking, building the career. I think your book aligns really well with that and be very cool to present it to them. Um, on that note, we're actually running out of time slowly. So I wanted to ask you, what is, um, what is like a final idea that you want to share with people listening, people who are excited about a career in data science, but maybe a little bit apprehensive about all the, the work that they need to put in to really build a career, not just successful, but a fulfilling career for themselves. 
Yeah, I think a couple of things is like my final take home message. Uh, one is like, this is your own journey and data science will look very different for different people. Right. And to try not to get caught up into like, oh, you know, I, I need to be like an AI researcher making a million dollars at Facebook. Like that's like, like, or, or chasing after status and think about like, but what's important to you? What do you care about? Um, how do you want to make an impact? Uh, what kind of data science work do you want to do? Uh, the second thing kind of with that is don't listen to the gatekeepers. Um, it, it's really frustrating to me when I see things like, oh, you have to like have a degree in math or like, what do you mean you don't use like this deep learning library? Like you're not a real data scientist. I think that's, that's really just a very damaging point of view. And I would say, um, you know, basically we define like you're doing data science, like if you're using data to um, like help something, to like make decisions, to communicate something, you know, that doesn't mean necessarily um, like anyone can like walk in and be hired as a data scientist right away, but there's a lot of ways to, to do data science um, and to start practicing, right? So it can be certainly really daunting. Um, and I would recommend rather than, for example, like starting with taking a ton of online courses, like maybe take one and then try to build a little project, right? And try to build it around something you care about. Uh, so I, <laughs> so one of my, my most recent blog post is on Pokemon. So I, I saw that. Yeah. yeah uh, so I was playing, uh, you know, Pokemon let's go. And I wanted <laughs> to build a team. Uh, you get six Pokemon and I wanted to, you know, choose what are the six Pokemon types, uh, that will, you know, be the strongest against the most defending types. And so I did a little simulation in R to do that. Right. And this is not like, so don't necessarily worry about like, oh, I got to do a project you know, that, that like, you know, super professional or get me hired because a lot of the skills I show off in this blog post, um, you know, are helpful to projects at company. Uh, so try to keep it fun, right? Like try to do things that are interesting to you. Uh, and my final thing was like, find community because it's so helpful to, you know, be talking with other people, um, you know, whether that's other aspiring data scientists, whether that's like the people, you know, with a career you want to have in a few years, um, but you know, don't, you don't have to go it alone. There's great, uh, you know, friendly people either at local meetups or on Twitter, um, that are really there and happy, happy to help you. Um, and you know, those relationships both can help your kind of, uh, mental health and, uh, you know, building your technical skills, but can also of course help in, in your job search as we've talked about. Uh, yeah. So I think those are my, my biggest piece of advice, uh, around it and that, yeah, I mean, data science is like a great and growing field. Um, you know, there'll always be more to learn. So just keeping that in mind, you know, I'm still like learning every day, trying out different stuff. Um, so don't feel like, oh, I have to wait till I know everything before I can apply because you're never going to know everything. So, you know, once you feel like you have like, okay, I have like a decent foundation and stats and some programming, um, you know, try applying to some jobs, let the market tell you, you know, whether or not it thinks you're ready um, you know, after you design your resume kind of like around some like best advice and use that rather than, uh, you know, waiting till you feel like, you know, everything because you're never going to know everything. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for amazing advice. And also I wanted to say, oh, Emily's blog is hooked on data.org. So all one word and check out the Pokemon uh, combinations <laughs> yeah. matrix. I also have some in, career advice on that on that blog post, including on that blog, uh, including uh, two on uh, building your network. 
um, if that's Fantastic. interesting to you. So don't, don't get the book, read the blog <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and maybe later get the book if you, if you really want to, but yeah, no, uh, fantastic book. I'm glad, um, you and Jacqueline got together to write it. It has been needed. People, um, want to get into the space of data science often don't know why we don't want the space of data science to be missing out on talented people from all over the world. Huge. Thank you to, for you, to you for that. And I'm sure it'll help many people. Before I let you go, what are some of the best places to get in touch with you or follow you and um, the career or or the book even? Uh, what are some places online? Yeah, so definitely the best place is Twitter. Uh, so I'm uh, Robinson underscore ES. Uh, so that's where I like often, it's a pretty professional Twitter. So usually I'll be posting or retweeting data science stuff, some about the career. Um, and Jacqueline is also fairly active on Twitter. Hers is... Uh, uh, Sky Tetra. I, st- I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's um, S K Y E T E T R A. We mm-hmm. also both have LinkedIn's, but I don't update it that much. Although you know, you're welcome to find me uh, on LinkedIn. But yeah, Twitter is definitely the best place, uh, and uh, also my blog uh, for any future posts. Awesome. And the book. Where can people uh, buy the book? Is it available on Amazon or somewhere else where they can purchase it already now? Yes. So it's available on Amazon. And I think by the time uh, this comes out, it will be out of pre-order on Amazon. You can also find it on Manning, uh, either through my short link, which is uh, super data, uh, or sorry, uh, datasidecareer.com, or my mm-hmm. co-author Jacqueline made one, which is bestbook.cool. Uh, and yeah. that will link you to Manning. Uh, those are also good because there's a uh, 40% off code you can use, which is pod super data. SC19. That's P O T S U P E R D A T A S C 19. Um, and that's good for 40% off. Um, and Manning does it. Uh, all the physical books come with an ebook. Uh, so on Manning's site, you'll see those are the two options. You can buy ebook only or physical plus ebook. Or if you order through Amazon, there'll be a code included inside your book. Uh, so you can get the ebook copy as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, thank you. There's uh, great places to get uh, you get uh, your book either on Manning or on Amazon. I've just uh, while <laughs> while you were describing that, I already placed my pre-order on Amazon. <laughs> Looking forward to my copy. I love uh, when a guest comes on. Why I get it on Amazon is because uh, when a guest comes on the show, I get the book. If I like it, I'm excited about it. Um, often I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I'll read parts of it and then I'll post a review. I like to post my photo with the book. I think it, uh, it's pretty pretty funny. I'd like take a funny picture usually with the book. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that would be great. Although, although you've given away, Kirill, if I don't see a review from you in a, in a couple of months, <laughs> I know you did like the book. Uh. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Um, on that note, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your insights and knowledge with us. Very, very exciting. I'm sure this uh, this episode and hopefully your book will help lots of people around the world get into the space of data science. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. And uh, yeah, folks do have like uh, follow-up questions after they read the book or the blog post, please feel free, feel free to reach out to me um, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Just mention that you listen to this episode because I do get a lot of um, cold message or cold uh, connection requests on LinkedIn. And I always think it's nice if people include a short message of why they're asking to connect. I sent you one just now. I forgot to include a message. Is that right? <laughs> yes, but you, 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 I know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I do that. That'll be my last general tips to folks. If you're, if you're trying to build your network, really 
uh, I think it's much better if you can include, if, if the person, if you haven't met that person in person, to include a short note of why you're reaching out. Gotcha. And come to Data Science Go, meet Emily in person, and then she'll tell you more tips. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Emily. So there you have it, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today, for spending this hour with us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation we had with Emily. My personal favorite part was the topic of negotiation. I actually not I'm not good <laughs> at negotiations at all. I'm learning myself, and I started diving into this area uh, when I was at a Tony Robbins event in I think July last year. Adlan and I went. Uh, and uh, there was a workshop on negotiation and it turns out it's so simple and yet it can yield such powerful powerful results for your career, for your business, for your life and I always love talking about this topic so it was great to hear some advice and practical tips I hope you jotted those down or even your memory got to um, something, something to keep from this episode that you might apply in your next interview and hopefully that will give you a boost Uh, send Emily a note if that does help you out I'm sure she'll be glad to hear and as always you can get the show notes for this episode at superdatascience.com slash 359 that's superdatascience.com slash 359 there we're including the link to Emily's LinkedIn to her Twitter to um, the book of course there'll be a link to buy the book and I highly recommend getting this book Uh, If you enjoyed the insights from this podcast, you can just imagine how much more you will get in the book. And it's a great way to support uh, authors in the space of data science who are trying to make this space even more, even easier to get into. So once again, the book is called Build a Career in Data Science. And on that note, so we're going to wrap up. If you did enjoy this episode and if you know somebody who's looking to break into the space of data science, who's looking to build a career or who's looking to enhance their career in data science or maybe change roles in data science, send them this episode so they can also learn from Emily's experience and Emily's insights. And I'm sure they will be grateful. Maybe the negotiation tactics will help them out too. Very easy to share. Send them the link superdatascience.com slash 359. And with that, my friends, thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.